Welcome back, everybody. Zubamahente ESPN joining us here on the Big Talker 1700, Jimmy B and TC. Zubin, I normally ask how you're doing, but I know how you're doing because at the network of ESPN, you guys are on Looney Tune watch right now because everybody is scrambling to find out whom is going to end up where in the NBA. It's really amazing. I mean, I thought the summer of LeBron, the first time and the second time was something. The summer of Durant was quite interesting as well. But what's really interesting is whether it's decision one in 2010, decision two in 2014, or this third decision. And as I said on the air the other day, we were, you know, saying um, decision one on TV was panned. Decision two was penned in Sports Illustrated, and who knows how decision three is going to work out. But one thing about LeBron that continues to amaze, whether it's 2010 to the Heat, 2014 back to the Cavs, or whatever happens in this case, is that the rest of the league is 100% on hold. And I may have mentioned this in a previous interview with you guys, but like when the NFL was going through with its largest free agent decision, let's just call it Kirk Cousins this year, uh, it wasn't precluding other teams from doing business. It wasn't precluding other teams from figuring out what our short and long-term strategy is going to be. This is honestly one guy that is completely holding up everything, and until he makes a decision, nothing else really can come into focus. I can't think of another league, I don't know if you guys can, where one person can rock the foundation of the entire league. His decision will completely remake the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference, depending on what he does. And I can't think of another person in sports. Maybe you do this once, guys, right? At the apex of your power. He's 33. Okay, he did it in 2010. He shook up the league, the heat, taking his talents, the new big three. Then he did it a second time and a third time. I think even our most generational performers have the ability to do that once. They're at the prime of their career, and they are going to make sure they make the most of it. That's one time for the great. He is now doing this for the third time, completely bringing the league to a halt. It's amazing. Zubin, I, I want to get your thoughts, the LeBron piece of this. It's obviously dominoes are going to fall afterwards. Do you believe it's down to just two? Do you believe it's just the Lakers and the Cavaliers, or are there any shot at all of somebody else? I mean, obviously, it's all complete guesswork because, as I said the other day, if LeBron wakes up tomorrow or goes to bed tonight and his wife wakes up tomorrow and says, I want to stay in Cleveland, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it doesn't really matter what the odds makers say or what Vegas says. I've never been a big proponent of Las Vegas in this particular circumstance because as much as I know you love Las Vegas, Trent, mm -hmm. you know, that's for numbers, <laughs> statistics, and games. So much of this is just emotional. If LeBron's kids are like, listen, we do not want to leave. We're from Akron. We want to stay here, and his wife has a strong pull to the area. You can't compensate for that in, in odds and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I think a lot of this is just one of those situations where, you know, Vegas has the right to put those odds out there, and they're generally right about what they're doing. You look at it and you just say, this is a special circumstance because you can't really dive into the statistics. Or you can't look into hidden yardage or, you know, points in the paint. There's really no way to make that sort of delineation but if i was just guessing and i think obviously that's all it is for literally everyone at this point even the most plugged in people um are just guessing they really are they're just guessing um it's going to be really hard i think for the rockets to do this without a sign and trade 
and I think that's their only option, and that may be out of the window by tomorrow. The Sixers never just seem like the right sort of fit. It just feels like they need another piece, and it would be a great mix of youth and experience. Um, he's had a long affinity for Greg Popovich, but I think, obviously, he wants to go somewhere where he can win immediately. And right now, the Spurs, um, despite 20 years of dominance, don't appear to be an elite Western Conference team at this particular juncture. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it probably, just a guess, comes down to two teams. And obviously the most exciting part about this is if he stays in Cleveland, I think it's actually better for the league in some cases Mm -hmm. because you're not completely crippling a franchise and you're keeping the Eastern Conference completely relevant based on the shoulders of one guy, even though the Celtics obviously have a bright future, and so do the Sixers. But it's just the domino effect of what could happen to the Lakers. I mean, could you possibly get Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and LeBron James to the most ritzy, glamorous franchise uh, in the league. Now, obviously, some would say that LeBron going to the Lakers would obviously help the NBA as well, uh, because obviously a marquee franchise that has fallen on incredibly hard times would be instantly relevant again. I'm more of the theory that the league is best when there is some level of competitive balance. You know, it's been a while, but 20 years ago, the Utah Jazz went to the NBA Finals in back-to-back years, and I just can't imagine, and this is no disrespect towards Quinn Snyder or Donovan Mitchell, these are amazing players, but it just gets to a point where I can't imagine in today's day and age of free agency and player movement where the Utah Jazz are going to be appearing in back-to-back NBA Finals. And to me, the league was always better when that was the case. Seattle's got a chance. Portland's got a chance. Utah's got a chance, as well as Boston, Los Angeles, Chicago. Sacramento was on the verge of the NBA Finals once. The Timberwolves were on the verge of the NBA Finals once. To me, the league is so much better when that is the case. But obviously, the way player movement is going many of those teams getting to the finals is basically a pipe dream at best, I think. Uh, Zub Mahente is our guest, ESPN. Uh, don't you find it interesting that a lot of the reports, uh, even on your network, uh, from your reporters as well, that indicate LeBron is going to wait until he sees where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard end up? Are you buying that, or do you think that tomorrow, late afternoon, we're going to know what LeBron's going to do? Well, I think in some ways we've got to know what he's going to do, at least for the first step, whether it's going to be the opt-in or the opt-out. And then I think, obviously, you can read the tea leaves at that point. Uh, clearly, from what our reporting is saying, and Jim, what you just mentioned, is that the Lakers are in a fever pitch to acquire Kawhi Leonard to basically entice LeBron. Uh, to come there. And obviously the Boston Celtics and other teams have made some overtures. I know the Spurs have been very, very adamant about saying we'd like to keep him. But he played in nine games last year. He wasn't on the bench during the postseason. Um, I think it feels like it's beyond repair. I don't know anything inside the Spurs organization. But I think a lot of this just comes down to we'll know something about LeBron tomorrow by 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. And I just think the Lakers are thinking to themselves, if we can get Kawhi, certainly strengthens our chances of getting LeBron. But at the very same token, if we can get Kawhi, it just makes us a better team. Jim, I will say the one thing that I really thought was interesting, there's been a lot of playing of this uh, press conference. I don't know if you guys ran the audio, or I'm sure many of your listeners heard about it, where Magic Johnson basically came out and said, listen, there's no pressure yes. on me. I'm Magic Johnson, you know? I went to the NBA Finals. I played against Larry Bird. I, I led Michigan State to a championship. I mean, I'm Magic Johnson. And that's that clip got a lot of play because it was a little bit combative. The reporter came back at Magic and said, you don't feel any pressure considering the situation. And that's why that clip got a lot of run. But there was another comment made by Magic that didn't get as much play, and I think, Jim, is really important. 
And that's when Magic essentially said, uh, during that same situation, though it didn't get as much run, he said, listen, we've got a two-year plan. It's this summer and next summer. And if we don't get what we need this summer, we'll get what we need next summer. And if we don't get what we need next summer, she, she is Jeannie Buss, the Lakers co-owner, Jeannie's not going to have to fire me. I'll resign. So I just think it's very interesting that Magic is definitely putting a timetable on it, even though it's the Lakers. Uh, I think it's very fair. I don't know if you agree, Jim. It's been very surprising and quite pleasant to me to see how willing the Laker fans have been to put up with this rebuild for four-plus years. They've been encouraging their young players. They're always used to going to the playoffs, and they've been basically very encompassing and accepting of this rebuild. But Magic himself said, if I can't get it done this summer, which is a huge opportunity, or next summer, that's going to be it for me. And uh, I've never heard a general manager, especially or a president in this case, especially one that's been so tied and so beloved to a franchise, essentially putting himself on the clock. I found that to be amazing. Interesting storylines in the NBA. They have got things figured out the way that the season just continues. You get right into the draft, and then right afterwards, free agency. It is a 12-month sport, no month. Well, Zubin, uh, another sport that's not quite 12 months for us here in America is uh, soccer and the World Cup. It's every four years for me. That's when I start to dig in. And uh, we saw something earlier today with England and Belgium facing off. Two teams certainly have a chance to win this whole thing, playing at a high level. Yet the loser of the match was going to turn out to be in a, a better side of the draw when they get out to the knockout round starting on Saturday. Zubin, I, I watched a little bit of it. Just one of the oddest sports experiences that I've ever had watching that one. Two teams, neither want to win. Yeah, I think what came, comes down to is you're right. If you look at the bracket, obviously one side is super loaded and the other isn't. And it, I mean, obviously we just spent the last eight, nine minutes talking about the NBA, but it really just feels like the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, except the other side of the bracket doesn't even have a cat. You know what I mean? Right, right. At least the West yep. is just completely loaded. And you look at the other side and you say, this is our best way to get there. I also think there's moments here, right? With Germany out, you look at it and say, if you're England, we have not won the World Cup since 1966. We won it on our home soil. And since then, we've had major problems getting anywhere deep. And if you look at Belgium, you say to yourself, and, you know, Belgium's manager, Roberto Martinez, used to work here, tremendous guy. You look at it and say, we have never won the World Cup ever. Now, listen, I'm about as much of a soccer fan as you are, Trent, but everybody at work from Taylor Twellman to Casey Keller and all of our guys continually tell me, and including a lot of our behind-the-scenes people, there's a ton of people at ESPN that love soccer because it's a really diverse workforce and soccer is so huge around the world. Every one of these people tells me this is Belgium's best team ever. This is Belgium's what they refer to as their golden generation of players, led by this guy Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku. So a lot of people are saying that, yeah, it's just one match. It's the final match of the group stage. It's the final day of the group stage. But if you're England, you've been waiting for this moment for more than a half century to get clear this way with some of the competition knocked out. And if you're Belgium, at least our guys tell me, and I believe them, that this is the best outfit that they had ever put on the field in a World Cup, and it is their golden generation of players. It's never going to get this good. Um, it's a country of about, you know, around 10 million. It's not gigantic by any means, but they have a tremendous group right now. And this is a moment for them 
that probably will allow them to build, because you'll usually get a next generation if this generation is great, it inspires a lot of other people and younger people to play. But from Belgium's standpoint, I think this is about as good as it's ever gotten talent-wise, and they realize what's in front of them. And at the end of the day, it's like going 4-0 in the preseason. Nobody really cares, you know? And who cares if you lose this group stage game? It all matters about what happens in the round of 60 and the knockout and going further. So I think both of these teams realize, because of the way the draw is shaken out, and because of the long wait in one country's perspective, and the <laughs> never-has-been wait in Belgium's case, where they've never won the World Cup, it's just too good of an opportunity to waste on a group stage match and just play for what you're playing for, and that's the knockout round. So it is fascinating. Um, you know, in the NBA, they keep saying, like, never tank, never tank. We, don't, we always play to win. It's like your NFL team that wins that last game and screws himself out of, like, the top overall pick. Yeah. Um, we yeah. always never see it. You always see coaches say we're always playing to win. Everybody's always playing to win because they've always got film out there and they're never lollygagging. So you always stay in American sports. We're never doing that, even if it makes sense. And then you finally watch a match and you're like, wow, they did that because it totally makes sense. So we don't see it as much in American sports. We talk about it. I guess over there uh, it makes just as much sense, but they have the guts to pull the trigger and do it. <laughs> Zubin, the uh, I'm curious what the guys say if you got if this even ever comes up in the uh, newsroom area of your offices about the flopping. I I I'm telling you, uh, look, I thought Marcus Smart was one of the best when he played uh, at Oklahoma State, but this takes it to a whole new level with what these guys do, and it's amazing. I mean, they go down and they weren't even hit. And they flop around on the ground, hoping to get a yellow card from only one official out there, because a linesman can't call it. So it's just one referee. Uh, I'm just curious what some of the conversation is, if there is conversation about it. I mean, I'm sure there is, because I think this country, there's still a gigantic wave, and I would put myself in this group, there's still a gigantic wave of people that are casual fans. And unfortunately, I'm going to put myself in this group, the one thing casual fans know about soccer is this, this sort of stuff happens all the time. I think from our soccer analysis, the one thing that's really unfortunate about this particular incident in terms of happening this much at the World Cup on the world's biggest stage is that for many people that are really getting into the World Cup, I think, I don't know if you agree, Jim, I think there has been much more interest in this World Cup despite the lack of the USA than many people thought. You know, starting with Ronaldo's hat trick and then going to Messi's Miss PK and Ronaldo's Miss PK and Harry Kane's hat trick and Iran almost winning a group. I think there has been so much excitement in this World Cup that people did not generate uh, that would be there. I think, I think you can even ask Vegas. There's been so much more interest in betting than many people thought there would be uh, because Team USA is out or because when some of the matches are being played, Las Vegas sportsbooks aren't even open. But I think people would tell you that there's a lot more interest than people think. And I think when flopping and things like that happen, unfortunately what it does um, is it mars how great this tournament has been. Because if you're kind of on the fence about soccer and you see a performance like that from Ronaldo or you see a Herculean performance from Mexico in the first two games but not the third game, and you see the way people around the world um, are reacting to their teams. I mean, Panama lost to England, guys, 6-1, okay? Panama had never been in the World Cup. They scored one goal. They lost 6-1. They're one of the worst teams in the World Cup. 
when they scored their first World Cup goal, it's one of the great moments. You should go back and look at it if your viewers have, or listeners haven't had a chance. They partied in the stands for 10 minutes. <laughs> partied in the stands for 10 They were down like, it was a 6-1 game. It was the largest win England's ever had in the history of the World Cup in one game. Panama's first goal in its first World Cup, and they were partying in the stands for 10 minutes. Those sorts of great pageantry moments um, are being somewhat diluted by some of this flopping. Is it a part of the game? Absolutely. Um, and it's a part of the game that matters because, as you've seen, how important it is. If a yellow leads to another yellow and you're playing with 10 men and you're playing with 10 men and you're fighting for your life, it's a little bit of a different scenario. But there's been so much amazing things that have happened in this World Cup that for many people, despite you know, how great it is and how much nationalistic pride and how much of an aura there is around these teams and some of these players like Salah and Messi and Ronaldo that's a flopping to many people that just don't love the sport the way many other people do. They look at it and say, man, this sport is so great. I'm kind of getting into it. I understand why the world loves it. I can finally watch a one-nil game and not think it's boring. I can finally watch a one-nil game and think it's exciting. And then that happens, and it takes the wind out of the proverbial sails. I'm totally with you, Jim. Good stuff. Hey, Zubin, as always, thank you so much for your time. It's always great catching up with you. We'll uh, we'll try to find some time next week. I know 4th of July, uh, maybe we'll throw a wrench into things, but we'll always find a little area for you, Zubin. Always great catching up. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Zubin Mahete, ESPN, see him on SportsCenter, and Jimmy B, uh, just yep. the other night, I did that, and he was doing the soccer coverage, and actually when Ken and I talked to him earlier this week, I asked him about that, without ESPN obviously having the rights now to the World Cup as it's on Fox and, and FS1, mm-hmm. they're only allowed two minutes per hour, you show a yeah. goal, you show a replay, you show a slow-mo or something, that two minutes goes awfully quick. I don't think people understand how fast two minutes really is sometimes. And you are right when they are limited uh, because of rights fees and everything else that is involved. Uh, the other cable networks just get uh, that, that two minutes and that's it. I will tell you this. I have enjoyed, I think it's Tyler Twelman. Uh, who's one of their in-studio guys. Lexi Lawless is is working for the Fox Network, so he's on their regular show. But Twelman is off the chart. I mean, he just goes absolutely crazy on the set. And from that aspect, I have found that to be pretty entertaining. No doubt. With that, we need a break. We're coming back on the other side. When we come back, well, we got our man Ken Silverstein, Big Ten football, LeBron watch. It continues. We'll see if Ken Silverstein's got the answer for it. We'll do that next year. Jimmy B and TC on 1700. And welcome back, everybody. We roll till 6 right here on the Big Talker 1700. Headed to beautiful Cleveland. Believe land. The land. Whatever you want to call it. The mistake by the lake. Nobody (laughs) says that anymore. Nobody says that anymore. Uh, Ken Silverstein is our guest Big Ten Conference Insider. And, of course, he covers... The Cleveland Cavaliers. Kenny, how are you? And are you getting any sleep, or have you pitched a tent outside of LeBron James's home? Well, I've never been inside the house, but I've been outside the gate <laughs> in the past. So uh, I, I tell you a quick story. Back when we uh, had this situation, now what? Uh, X amount of years ago, I guess it would be 2010. A bunch of us got a tip one day that he was going to be leaving in a little bit, and we all rushed out uh, to his house. Um, 
Now, this is a sprawling complex because it's LeBron James, and there are multi-ways to get in and out. And so you, as a reporter, are, are trying to figure out, well, there's four ways in and four ways out. Which way do we, you know, where, which gate do we try to take? Unbelievably, we got the lucky gate. He pulls out, he sees all of us, he walks out the window, and he says, are you guys hungry? And we go, <laughs> yeah. He says, on my way, as I'm driving by you, I'll call McDonald's and have them serve you food. Hang where you are. And he just pulled away. And the food did <laughs> arrive great. about a half hour later. That's great. <laughs> the hookup. That's great. Got the yeah, hookup. The hook, well, yeah. well, well, you know, when, you, when you're LBJ and you're worth more than a couple hundred million dollars, you know, feeding about 10, 15 reporters a bunch of cheeseburgers <laughs> and fries, it isn't going to cost them a whole bunch. So, no. Yeah, it's, it's been... Um, it's been the phone has not stopped. Um, the phone will not stop. Uh, as I've said to you, nobody here that does this is taking any time off. You can't. Um, I have a friend of mine who's got a honeymoon coming up in mid-July. I talked to him this morning. He's praying that this is done by the middle of July, and I think it will. The last time around, it was July 10th when he took his talents to South Beach. Uh, indications, and I don't know if it's legit or not that there's been some speculation that the almighty decision will come before Wednesday, which is the holiday of the 4th, which would mean Tuesday the 3rd. I don't know that that's going to stand up. I think maybe in a perfect world he might like that. But this thing is so fluid with Paul George, Kareem Leonard, LeBron James, and other situations that uh, Kemba Walker and others that I don't know as much power as he has, he may he may not be able to control this on the time frame that he wants, but I don't think it's going to go past the 10th. I'd be shocked if this thing goes any lengthier than it did last time. Ken, uh, with that, it's the, the drawn-out process we're going to see. Do you believe that he's waiting for other dominoes, waiting for the Lakers to clear cap space for a possibly movement with Cleveland, a possibility of bringing Kemba Walker? I mean, there's so many things out there, I get it. But is this LeBron waiting or LeBron just truly making his decision the other trips will fall where they may afterwards? No, I think he's going to wait. Um, I think he's going to wait. And a lot of this sits on the plate of almighty uh, Greg Popovich. Um, and I don't understand what San Antonio is doing. This is a very smart organization. R.C. Buford, longtime GM. Pop has won a lot of championships. These are smart guys. The Leonard situation is very unique and that this does not happen to the San Antonio Spurs. It just doesn't happen. They are thought to be one of the class organizations, not only in the NBA, but you could make an argument in all the professional sports. And that this is happening to them has got to be shocking. Now, here's the rub. What I don't understand what they're thinking is. If I were them, I'd tell Leonard and his people, sit on it, okay? Mm -hmm. You ain't going nowhere. We got leverage. You got squad. We'll trade them if we will trade them when we want to. We're not trading them now. We're not trading them tomorrow. We're not trading them in mid-July. If we trade them, maybe we'll trade them in late September, early October, right before training camp. But we're not trading them now. Now, how does that affect everybody else? Well, first of all, it basically tells the Lakers to back off, okay, number one. Number two, it gives more leverage back to the San Antonio Spurs. 
because they control his deal. He has, he does not have a no trade option in his current deal, so they can trade him anywhere they want. They can trade him to Sacramento if they got, you know, what they think is a pretty good deal. They can trade him to Brooklyn. They can trade him anywhere they want. He has no say in this, none at all. And why some people think he does, I don't understand. So if I'm San Antonio, I'm telling his people, don't call us, we'll call you. We got your number, don't call us. When we call you, then we'll get serious. So I w- if I was San Antonio, I would wait. Now, how does this affect LeBron? LeBron can't wait until September or October. That ain't going to fly. Okay? He knows that. So does Rich Paul, his agent, and Mark Termini, his other agent. Okay? They know they can't wait to September or October. So if they get the vibe that San Antonio is not going to trade them, if they're going to trade them, until late September, early October, when the trading deadline, all of a sudden LeBron goes, okay, I don't know what San Antonio is doing. I can't wait until that you know, lengthy period of time. That ain't going to work. So all of a sudden the Lakers get screwed. Leonard is stuck in neutral. Spurs get back the leverage. LeBron then says to himself, well, I don't know what Leonard's going to do. Better yet, I don't know what San Antonio is going to do with him. Paul George, I don't know about Paul George. Paul George waffles more than a waffle you have for breakfast, okay? Um, you just don't know what he's going to do. He changes his mind literally every 15 minutes. Does he resign with Oklahoma City? Does he want to be a free agent? Uh, does he go in and tell him he wants to be traded? Whatever. It, it just seems to change every 15 minutes. So if you're LeBron and you don't know what the situation is going to be with San Antonio, if they follow my plan and wait this thing out and don't be in a rush, number one, and number two, not knowing what exactly Paul George is going to do. And even if Paul George wants to go to L.A., if I'm LeBron, Paul George is a really good player, but he is not enough to beat Houston or, better yet, Golden State. There's no way. I, I don't care if LeBron goes to L.A. They don't have enough. Not enough. And I think LeBron knows that. Now, if he can get Leonard and George to join him, well, that becomes a little different story. But if I'm San Antonio, I control this situation. One, I don't have to trade him. Two, if I am going to trade him, I'm going to trade him when I want to trade him. I could trade him once the season begins. I could trade him on the eve of training camp. Why am I in a rush to trade him now? I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. Ken Silverstein is our guest right here on the Big Talker 1700. Ken, let me just follow up then, because you referenced Kimba Walker and the Charlotte Hornets uh, have been looking to deal him. Would that be enough with Kemba Walker, LeBron, and Kevin Love, and then whatever combination is left over on the bench would that be enough to keep him there? And in your estimation, would they still be the beast of the East? That's a good question. I, I think personally, and I don't know what he's thinking because no one knows what he's thinking, okay? He has not said a word to nobody. Okay? He was on vacation. I got word this morning he's back. Where he's at, I don't know. He could be at the compound. He could be who knows where. Uh, no one seems to know where he is. At this point, other than I was told by a very good source for the Cavs organization, they know he's back here in the U.S. of A. All right, that answers that part of it. Um, 
is Kimber Walker enough? I personally think it would be, but I don't know if he thinks. He's a two-time All-Star. He's a 20-point scorer. He would be an upgrade at backcourt over George Hill, the rookie Colin Sexton uh, out of Alabama, anybody else that they would have on their roster. They would have to trade Colin Sexton, the eighth pick, uh, in the draft, what, a week or two ago, whenever the draft was. They would have to trade him and probably a couple other players. They would get Walker back in one of Charlotte's bad contracts, which I think they're willing to take on. Marvin Williams might be a possibility, former North Carolina product, pretty good outside shooter, veteran guy, uh, heady guy, smart guy. So I think, and I, and I get this, I got this feeling that this is how it would go down. If he would tell them they would stay or the trade would then go down. I, th- I think they're waiting to make this deal, waiting to see if he will come back. And if he does, it'll be a two-year deal, but it's not technically a two-year deal because it will be a repeat of what he's got right now. A one-year deal with a second year being strictly a player option, which would mean a year from this date in 2019, we'll be back doing this all over again, not for the first time, not for the second time. How about a trifecta three times if that scenario pans out? The problem, Jim, is no one knows what he's thinking. I think, again, that Kimball Walker might be enough to keep him. But that's my opinion, and I don't know, and no one else knows what he's thinking. All right, enough of this basketball stuff. Let's get into some football, Ken. I know you like the sounds of that. So, that is a good thing. <laughs> I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on this. So we, we've talked a lot about Nebraska. Year number one is Scott Frost. A lot of excitement there. The tempered expectations, though, because of the schedule. Is there a game in Nebraska this year? There are crossovers at Michigan, difficult. At Ohio State, difficult. They get Michigan State at home, but still difficult. Those are their three crossovers. Is there a game where Nebraska, look, a 7-5 and five season with this schedule, I think, would be a huge, huge step in year number one under Scott Frost. Of those three crossovers, though, what would you put as the most likely for the Cornhuskers to get it done? Wow. Uh, well, first of all, they haven't come close against Ohio State. They have been, they yes. have been demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have the talent uh, to play with them, particularly in Columbus. Um, if Urban Meyer wants to score 50 or 60 on them, uh, he's been able to call the number. Um, they may most likely are going to start a freshman quarterback in Adrian Martinez, a kid that uh, Ohio State looked at, Tennessee looked at. They both ran away because of the shoulder issue. Uh, Nebraska took a flyer on him. He had a very good spring game. But uh, you're not going to win a lot of games with Adrian Martinez in year one with this schedule. They're going to throw stuff at him in athletes he has never seen before. So, um, he's not beating Ohio State on the road. Um, Michigan's defense is too good. He's got, Michigan's got too many future NFL players on that defense. Um, Voinovich, Gary on the, on the front four defensively are future. If not, well, Gary's going to be a first-round pick, probably top ten. Voinovich is probably a late first, early second. Uh, they're not beating Michigan with that defense. Don Brown is, if not the best in the country, he's a top five defensive coordinator. Uh, Michigan State. Um, oh, L.J. Scott. There's a name that Iowa fans <laughs> love hearing. 
back again for the. This guy's been on campus at Michigan State for like a ten years. I think him like and Percy. Year him and Percy Snow, I think, played together. I, exactly. It was so long ago. <laughs> Come on, please leave. <laughs> Iowa fans just want to see you, Jennifer. Yes. Please just leave campus. Leave us alone. Um, best shot would be against Michigan State, but uh, you know what? He's returning at quarterback, and uh, he yep. had flashes last year, being being pretty good. I could see him going zero and three. Yeah. Uh, best shot would be Michigan State. I don't. I don't see him beating Michigan with the defense. I'm assuming Shea Patterson is legit, uh, and I don't see him beating Ohio State. So uh, one and two at best, and probably, probably 0-3. And, and you know what? If I'm a Nebraska fan, it's not the end of the world, okay? It's year one. This is, a, I mean, outside of having to play all four of them, that would be Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Ohio State, okay? Luckily, they don't have to play four of them in a crossover. I mean, come on. I mean, name me a tougher non-conference schedule than that. So uh, if they do go 0-3, if they're competitive, and I don't know what that means particularly at this stage, I want to see them play before I know what competitive means, and you can't tell in a spring game, quite frankly. Um, if they're competitive, then I think that's progress, but I, it's going to be tough to win any of those three games. Ken, when you sit back and we start to get ready now for college football, and not just in the in the Big Ten, and I, and I know that that's what you focus in, but you follow all college football throughout the nation. When we have these major, major opening games that salivates us, and then schools go back to playing the Savannah State's and the Texas Commerce A&M's, uh, it, it, do you ever think that will change, or or is it is it a possibility where maybe in another couple of years you might see teams scheduled differently? Well, I think if it hurts you, you know, if you're a Wisconsin, um, if you're a potential winner in the East, or if you're a Pac-12 school trying to get in the Final Four, you, you look at your schedule uh, non-conference-wise, and you look at it short and midterm, anywhere from one to three to maybe five years out. And again, Trent and I have talked about this in the past. It's tough. You look at like uh, a BYU who, you know, in the 80s and 90s and when Lavelle Edwards was controlling or patrolling the sidelines, BYU was a major player in college football, Okay. And you schedule them, and now BYU is not that good. And so you say to yourself, okay, we scheduled this whenever we did. It looked like a better game then. Now it don't look so good. Now what do we do? You either stay the course and roll the dice that the, the win doesn't kill you, okay, in, in regards to the, the, uh, the authenticity of it or, or the, the power of the victory itself, or... You say to yourself as the AD and the coach, look, when we scheduled this X amount of years ago, they were really good. Now they're not very good. We don't think they're going to be very good now, this coming season. I, I want to get out of this game. We may need to pay to get out of it. I'm willing to pay to get out of it. This is what I'm. This is the AD talking to Coach X, Y, or Z. Uh, we need to get out of this game, get a better game on the schedule. Let me see what I can find. I'll get back to you with what I find. And some schools are willing to do that. But the tricky part there 
is even if you want to get out of the so-called BYU game or a game right. that you thought on paper X amount of years ago was better, you still have to find BYU in this example willing to get out of the game. Two, then you got to negotiate a price that BYU, using BYU as an example, is willing to accept. That's issue two. And then issue three, if you're like, let's make a deal from years gone by, hello, Monty Hall, door number three is the following. Then you got to find somebody else to replace BYU. And can right. you find somebody, in this example, better than BYU? So it's really easy for someone like me or whomever to say, hey, look at your schedule down the road. If you think it's iffy, get out of it, pay to get out of it, and have them accept it, write them a check, and then find somebody else. But it's not as easy as some people think. And here's another thought, guys. When these schools are playing so-called patsies, okay, after playing, let's say, somebody really legit, let's say Michigan playing Notre Dame, okay, that is a legitimate game, boys. Mm-hmm. That's going to be big time, okay? Or um, uh, Alabama, it's not Alabama, Ohio State playing TCU in Dallas at Jerry World. Again, top 20 team, maybe a little bit higher than top 20. The rest of non-conference isn't that good, okay? It just isn't. Doesn't, it, they, it doesn't compare. But here's the rub. When you play one of these patsy schools, a major program like Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, uh, I don't know, whomever, has to write a check. I'll give you an example. Ohio State is playing Toledo from the Mid-American Conference. That's the conference of Kent State, Bowling Green, Central right. Eastern, Western Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. To get them to play the game, Toledo says to Ohio State, we got no chance. We just want to make sure our kids don't get hurt. You're going to score 50 or 60 on us, which they will. Okay, what are you going to pay us? And if my memory serves, and I could be off by 100000 here, so give me a little wiggle room. It was either $1.8 or $1.9 million to play. Wow. One game, one Saturday afternoon, a little over three hours, get your fanny beat, but leave with a very big check. <laughs> now, I don't know of anyone that's gone over $2 million for a game, but we're going to blow by it here in the next year or two. I promise you. And That's so amazing. these schools are writing big-dollar checks to get a patsy on their schedule. Sorry, Toledo Rockets, or whomever, some directional school, which is what Jim yeah. is hinting at, or whomever. They write them a big check. It helps pay their, uh, their, their athletic budget, okay? It pays the bills, and then they send their kids to basically get, for the most part, slaughtered, okay, hopefully not hurt, and slaughtered on the scoreboard, let's say. And then they get on the bus and head wherever they're going or the plane to leave Tuscaloosa or Columbus or uh, Athens, Georgia or Notre Dame or wherever. And, hey, the AD's happy, at least privately he's happy, because he knows he's got a big check in his hand mm-hmm. that's going to pay the bill. Ken Welcome Silverstein. Welcome to the world of college football. Ken, yeah. out of time for today. Love it, and uh, thanks, as always, for your time. We'll do it again next week. Yeah, big day after the holiday. Guys, enjoy the holiday, and everybody else, else out there have a safe and Super enjoyable July 4th. Thank you very much. Ken Silverstein checking in. Running a ton late. We got to get a break. Coming back on the other side, putting a cap on things. It's Jimmy B and TC. All right. We are back one final time. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. This portion of the program brought to you by New Leaf Wellness. 
looking to get in shape for the summer, lose some weight, or push past that plateau, New Leaf Wellness can help you out with that and a whole lot more. 650-1358 is the phone number for New Leaf Wellness. All right, Jimmy B, tonight we talked about it at the yep. top, that uh, yep. absolute stomach punch that Arkansas took. Are they going to get it done, or your Beavers, as you said, you had Beaver fever the other day? Yes, I do. Do the Beavers get national title number three? I think it's Oregon State tonight. Uh, look, I'm sure that the Hog fans are going to be out in mass uh, because it's only about an eight-hour drive to get from Fayetteville to Omaha. Six. Where, six, of hour course, six hours. Six hours. Six hour drive. Six hour drive. Wow. Even closer. Yeah. So from that standpoint, yeah, they, I mean, it's going to be crazy in the stands, but I still like Oregon State. I'm not going to back off my pick. I just think that their power, and it showed uh, in that game last night when they had to have it and their hitters, and I, I just think that Oregon State uh, has has better players and will find a way to win the game tonight. Trent, I can't wait because you know me. I love game sevens, and, of course, they don't play seven here. They play best of three, so I'm dialed in for game three. Well, Jimmy B., I told you beforehand I liked Arkansas. I just felt they were a better team going in. I don't think they can respond from this one, though. I'm jumping on the Beavers, too, on this one. Fading the pick that I had earlier in the week. So you can always adjust, Jimmy B. This is what I've been yes. trying to teach you for three years. Well, that was my pick, so i got to stick with it. No, you don't. Nobody cares. You don't have to stay with it. Change, evolve with what you see. And after what I saw last night in uh, that foul pop-up, I'm changing my pick. I'm taking the Beavers. You can hear the game right here coming up next on 1700. We got the call with Westwood 1. Oregon State, Arkansas, Game 3 for a national championship. It's next on 1700.